0: Behind our broken. Ask your questions, come the fight, that if you take the time to look deep enough inside, you will see an image of God.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Del, and uh, it's really, really incredible to be together, isn't it? We can feel the energy in this place as we sing and as we bring our lives together before the Lord. Um, and as Trevor was just singing in that song, there is a, there's a depth to life, isn't there? There's a mystery. There's a beauty. Um, there's, there's questions that we all bring to our lives. Um, and we go through so many different things through the course of a lifetime. So... Um, one of the questions that I had for you this morning is, what has surprised you most about your life? Um, let's let that sink in for a minute and think about it. What has surprised you most about your life? You know, when I, um, when I, was, when I was, I wanted to discuss it, but I, we don't have quite the time to do that, but, but uh, later we'll talk, all right? But. When I was uh, when I was younger, I remember thinking that it would be so good to get older because uh, when you, when when you got older, you would know all the answers. Uh, I, I thought maybe the magical age was 18 or something, and then then it, then it was 21, or then it was, you know. And now now I'm now I'm 50, and I've got more questions, right? Than I've got answers. Um, I think one of the things that surprised me about my life is is that somehow I thought life would be easier. Like, I I knew it would be hard, but I didn't know it would be this hard, right? And so, um, you know, maybe you're like this guy. Um, Yeah. Um, Or maybe sometimes you feel like this, right, as an adult. Like, adulting is not for cowards, right, Um, as we go through all the different phases of our lives. We're going to begin a series uh, this week uh, called A New Way of Thinking About Our Lives. Um, And it's it's framed around this idea that I thought life would be easier. And yet, uh, we have a revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ and in the scriptures that actually brings uh, wisdom, that brings wisdom from God for life. Not life as we wish it would be, but life as it is. Um, And, you know, Jesus, uh, who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, also is the creator of life, and he knows how it works. And so we could say it this way, that he is not only the savior, but he's also the smartest person in the universe. Like, he actually knows how life works, and when we engage him seriously in his way, we not only find the source of forgiveness and peace for our soul, but we also find, we also find purpose, as, as Trevor's saying, and we, we, find, we find a way of thriving, and so we need to pay attention carefully to Jesus. The, 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 the thing that I'm going to talk about this week is a perspective, a way of seeing your life, you know, your life as it is, and, and finding forward momentum in it through perspective. You know, Jesus, you know, everywhere he went, um, did a lot of teaching, but he also asked a lot of questions. And so in, in Mark, one of the Gospels, Um, This is a question that he repeated frequently to people. So he would go around telling people as he was dialoguing, interacting with them, you know, if you have eyes to see or if you have ears to hear, um, make sure that you see and you hear. Uh, At one point, he would actually ask people, like he said, you you know, do you have eyes but actually fail uh, to see? Now, it's interesting because... um, it brings, to, it brings to mind this idea that as we're going through life with physical eyes and with physical ears, um, we don't always see clearly, or we don't, we don't always see in full, we see in part. Um, and it, it, it is kind of like, um, gives us pause, doesn't it, for a second, to, to consider that we could be going through life and the perspective that we actually have on it is missing something significant, that, that what the data that we're actually making our decisions on about reality may be incomplete. And so Jesus was coming to people of this day, and, and as he comes to us now, and basically saying, do you have eyes to see? What do your eyes see? And, and as, as you engage Jesus in his way, part of what he is teaching us is he is giving us lenses, he's giving us eyes to see life as it really is from God's perspective And also to be able to see from from where we are how to to go into life actually with God in in a way that works and thrives. And so I would ask you this morning, you know, what has surprised you about your life, but also also how do you see? Um, And I want to suggest to you this morning that actually one of the keys to a thriving life with God, the key is actually what you see. You know, someone has said that life is only a reflection of what we allow ourselves to see. And I think we could all probably look back in the rearview mirror of our life and realize that there were points when we thought we knew or we saw something in one particular way that we discovered later we were missing huge pieces, right, in parts. And we go, wow, how could I have missed that? How could I have have been so blind? Um, because, Because of the lessons that we learn or the way that we now see something Um, But I want to suggest to you that Jesus is coming to us inviting a certain kind of humility related to our perspective, that our our sight currently may be incomplete, right? And that we we need to see more. We need to allow ourselves to expand what we see. And I want to suggest to you that there are two basic questions this morning that every human person needs to ask about their vision, of your one and precious life, okay? And there are two ways of seeing. And the first question, the the first question is this. How how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Fundamental question uh, of life. And I'm going to invite you to turn to the wisdom of Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, uh, we have seat Bibles. If you're using those, which I am doing right now, it's uh, page 628, actually 629 here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you a story that Jesus told related to vision, about how we see ourselves, okay? And I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 of Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence, verse 9, Luke chapter 18, in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. So if you know the biblical narrative, this was a religious teacher. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat and I don't sin, And I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Jesus then said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And you can almost hear Jesus echo this refrain, if you have eyes to see, then see. Now, what I, what I want to point out here to you is this. This is a story of two men and their vision of themselves. The Pharisee, if you'll notice, is focused, the focus of his attention is entirely external to himself. He's looking around. He actually begins his prayer like this, I am not like other people. And then he begins to, he gets to point out the tax collector and then all the other kinds of people uh, that, that in his mind uh, he was superior to or not like. And so this man's vision was focused externally, and therefore his perspective on circumstances and people in his life was framed from that vision. Do you see what I'm saying? He was basically saying, listen, whatever problems, whatever mysteries, whatever questions, whatever conclusions that I'm going to make about my life they're certainly not my fault, they're, they're based in what everybody else is doing. Do You see this? Now Jesus makes a comment on this man, he said, listen, he was, he was praying, he was actually using God language, but in this false basis for, for, for life, this false perspective, this way of seeing, he was actually limiting his growth trajectory in life, he was actually lowering himself. Because, think about this for a second. All growth, all change, all, all self-development, all forward movement gets seriously thwarted when the response to every circumstance and person in your life is to blame them and to take no personal responsibility for yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? So this was just a counter, this is a counterproductive, it's a, it's a natural but really counterproductive way of living. And you know, if you look around in life, are, are, do you know some people like this? They may not be Pharisees, but like it's like basically everything in their life, every circumstance, they keep running into walls, but it's always the wall's fault. They keep having repeated experiences in their life of relationship that, that, that are breaking down and it's always, it's always someone else's fault. And I, this is not to say that wrong isn't being done to them. We all experience wrongs. But the entire vision of life, when it's external, simply becomes reactive to people and circumstances. And, and, you, and you never are able to learn because the focus of your attention is always outside yourself. And Jesus just says, this is, this is, this is the way to lowering your life in contrast there was this tax collector in the eyes of society this was one was the good person one was the bad person this was the bad person but look at the look at the focus of this man's attention he stands at a distance he's not even willing to you know his gaze is even down and inward he's focused he's focused in the midst of people and circumstances he's focused where on himself on his own heart on on, on his insides And because the focus, the vision of his life was on himself, his internal, his own character, he saw the circumstances and people in his life. I'm sure this man had problems as well. He had questions, just like all of us do. But yet, he used those circumstances and those problems as an opportunity to talk to God honestly about his own character, his own needs his own life. And Jesus actually looks at this person who, who in the eyes of the society was on, a, on the low road and says actually this man has an approach of humility that will accelerate him forward. This is, this is the posture of growth. Now here, here's the question uh, for you. How do you see yourself? When it comes to your vision of how you're living your life and what you see, would you say that you're more like the Pharisee, the externally focused in the way that you see and evaluate or, or like the tax collector who took the way of humility. Okay. Now here's, here's the second fundamental question that we need to ask about perspective in the way of God. So not only how do you see yourself but how do you actually see God? How do you see God? Now there's a, there's a story of uh, a college student who was questioning faith and had come to a, had come to a position where uh, he no longer believed in God and he was railing against religion and God and he had a conversation with the great Christian apologist, C.S. Lewis, the author, C.S. Lewis, um, who engaged him in this topic of God and, and the, the young man said, oh, I don't believe in God. And C.S. Lewis said, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And so this man began spewing about this and that about God. And, and uh, C.S. Lewis said, well, that's interesting because I don't believe in that God either. Now, here, now here's, here's the point here. Jesus was coming to people who thought that they knew a lot about God. Um, and he was undermining, he was, he was reframing what God was like in his own person. He was saying, if you want to know what God's like, you've got to, see, it, it, it's me. Like, I, you know, I'm in his image, I bear his heart. So anything that you're going to say about my father has to be consistent with the life of Christ, right? So, so it's possible this morning that you have, you have major questions about God and where he's been in your life and, you, and your circumstances and with people, and it's possible that even that is an extension of your own limited vision. you follow what I'm saying? This is why it's such a fundamental question, because it's not only do I have an accurate view of myself— but where is God And that? What is, what is he like? How does he see? Right? And there's a, there's a really interesting story. Um, again, turn with me quickly to Genesis 16. Um, again, that's page 10 okay, in your Bible. It's the story of a woman um, named, named Hagar. Now, I'll, I'm going to accelerate this story for you. You can take a look at it later. It's in verses 1 through 14. For sake of time. But Hagar, again, was a woman on the low end of the power continuum in her society. She was was actually a slave. So she she worked for a wealthy couple in the Bible named Abraham and Sarah. So she was Sarah's concubine or slave. Now, Now Sarah, although Abraham was very rich, Sarah... Was, was barren and was childless, so Abraham and Sarah had no heir for their, for their, um, to continue their family line. And so as Abraham got older and Sarah got older, they turned to the custom of their day, which was that a wealthy woman like Sarah could actually bear a child that would be legally theirs through their slaves. So she actually brings Hagar, if you can imagine this, uh, to Abraham... To take as, a, take as a second wife, concubine, not the same status, but like, and basically to bear a child for Abraham and Sarah. This is horrible, right? This is a very horrible situation for this young woman. Um, and she ends up becoming pregnant with the son. There was great rejoicing. Uh, the this, this son was named Ishmael. Um, and. Things were going great for a little while because it looked like the plan was working, and, and then this is what happened. Sarah got pregnant. Okay, so the, the, the actual wife gets pregnant in the story and actually has a son. Now, this creates an immediate problem, right? Because now, now this usatory arrangement has become toxic because now there is an heir on the scene, and the two women begin to, to uh, Sarah begins to assert her dominance essentially over Hagar. And so she begins, actually, you know, Hagar was, was kind of nasty in this too, uh, but Sarah basically begins to abuse Hagar. Now, we're not, we're not told exactly what the nature of the abuse was, but it said that she was treated harshly. Um, you can use your imagination, right? I think this was verbal for sure. It was emotional for sure. It probably was physical. This was a bad situation. So Hagar was being mistreated, Abraham stands by and basically says to Sarah, it's your business, you know, like. And so so Sarah has her will with Hagar. Things get so bad for Hagar, the pain is so great that she she eventually runs, probably for her life, certainly for her sense of well-being. She's desolate, she's outcast, she's a slave in the middle of nowhere. Uh, she's, She's emotionally distraught, Sarah, Hagar in every sense believes that she is alone and unseen. Now let me ask you a question. Ever been there? No, Maybe not to this extremity, but ever been there in your life? Ever, Ever been in situations where circumstances and people have systematically made you feel small? Ever been in situations where you feel alone, you feel mistreated, you feel misunderstood, you feel unseen. Now, the question that is unspoken in any kind of situation like that is where is God? Why why is he allowing this? How does he see this? Is he blind? And so Hagar is literally on the backside of a, of a wilderness with with desolation and little hope and the story in verse 7 picks up and and the lord actually calls to hagar by name he says hagar what are you doing here and begins a conversation with hagar whereby he he lets her know that he sees what has happened to her he knows her situation he knows her name a slave. He knows her name. He knows her situation. He cares about her. He begins to speak promises for her of destiny and of future that he was going to he preserve her and take care of her and include her descendants in his care and in his blessing. This is overwhelming good news to Hagar. And then he, he does something, again, that is only that only can be understood in the mystery of life, he actually says, Hagar, part of your journey forward is actually going back. The deliverance that I'm bringing to you is going to be with you and for you, but it's going to be in the middle of your circumstances. You've got to go back and deal with the situation, your actual life, head on, and I'm going to be with you. And Hagar, in this, like, uh, responds out of the depth of the human experience. Like, this is not happy clappy. This is not a magic solution to all of her problems. And yet she has a completely new view, a new way of thinking, a new perspective on her life that is shaped fundamentally by the personal recognition and encounter, the vision that although her life is painful, although it is complex, although it is nuanced, although there are circumstances in people that are not easy, God loves her. God sees her. And this is, this is what she actually says. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She actually gives God a name, a personal name, a name tailored to her experience in this. And she says, she said, you are the God who sees me. Have I truly seen the one who sees me? Let's go back to our question. How do, you, how do you see God? What is your vision of God? In the middle of your actual circumstances and the people in, it in your life. Hagar discovered that God is the God who sees. Now, here's the incredible good news of the gospel this morning. You know, we talk about the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. Um, There are are different ways to kind of frame this. But for this morning, let me say this. The good news of Jesus Christ is that the God who made the universe and everything in it sees you. He sees you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows your circumstances. And his gaze is loving. It's benevolent. He has plans for you there's an invitation in the seeing of God to life with Him. Now, that invitation is not an invitation simply to escape your pain or your problems. right? It's not, a, it's not a magic trick. But it's better than that. Because it's an invitation to live your actual life with you. And that vision of the God who sees and the God who loves Fundamentally changes everything about a person's life. This is the transformational power of God's love in Jesus Christ. And this is what Hagar discovered here. Now, let me tell you, as a social scientist, I'm a counselor. The brain science actually backs this up. Because did you know that when we as human beings actually have the experience of seeing ourselves... Being seen, it heals us. It rewires our brain. It changes us. This is why, when you are able to pour your heart out to a friend or to have the presence of someone who loves you unconditionally in the middle of your darkest moments, it helps because God has wired you not to live these things alone, but to be, to be seen. And when we see ourselves, when we have the experience of ourselves being seen by someone who loves us, it transforms the human spirit. This is why the gospel is good news, because the, God, the gospel says that there is never a moment of your life in your best moments or in your worst ones that God sees you, that he knows you, He's the God who sees. He loves you. And as we become more and more aware, not simply of reacting like the Pharisee to all of our circumstances and problems and railing and defending and self-protecting, but when we're able to open to the love of God and, and, and the possibilities that he brings in the midst of our actual experience, we become aware of that. We discover it. And that develops capacity to be tuned in to God and to, 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 to experience the tuning in that he's always doing for you. And when that connects, it changes us. Now, we are all in the journey, I want to suggest to you this morning, of learning how to see. Jesus' question, do you have eyes that don't see? Is one of the fundamental questions of life. And this morning, I believe God wants to begin to take us forward by opening our eyes, by giving us a new perspective on ourselves, a new approach to ourselves, and a new approach to Him that can change everything. But this is a learning process. Now, this is all through the scriptures. I'm going to point to another one here and give you a little homework, okay? Because you're going to come back next week and we're going to dig into the next principle of how to deal with life that we thought would be easier, right? It's not easy, but it's good. But here's your homework. In Zephaniah 3.17, the scripture says this, "'The Lord your God is living among you. "'He is a mighty Savior. "'He will take delight in you with gladness. "'And with His love, He will calm your fears.'" He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. This is what Hagar discovered, right? In the backside of a desert, at her lowest moment, is that she was seen by a God who sees like this. Now, I've talked to a lot of people about a lot of things. But when I ask them, what kind of God do you believe in? This is not always the picture or the description that I get back. In fact, the question for you this morning is, when you, when you think of God, do you reflexively think of a God who sees you like this? Who is living among you, he's with you, he's near. That he's a savior to you, that he takes delight in you with gladness, that his love is perfectly tailored for your fears. That he rejoices over you, actually with singing, that he sings songs over you, Uh, because we don't believe that yet fully, experientially, we miss the experience that Hagar had of seeing ourselves being seen by the one who sees. You follow what I'm saying? So the practice this week, the transformational practice, is to take a minute. You'll probably want to do this by yourself because you might feel silly, but to quiet your heart before the Lord and to look at this text and to actually visualize God in these postures and behaviors over you. Hmm? Homework, that's fun. Because this this is the truth of the way that the Lord sees you 24-7. This is the way he sees. He's singing songs over you. He loves you. He's calming your fears. He's taking delight in you with gladness. And as you experience that kind of perspective over your life, I promise you, it will begin to change you. It will change you. It will give you courage and strength for your actual life. Let's take a minute and just uh, be in the Lord's presence together with this good news over us and I'll pray for you, okay? Lord, sometimes the good news of what you're like seems too hard to even believe. Lord, we know our own stories so well. We know our disappointments, we know our failures, we we know our hurts. We know so well the detours and dead ends actually, of our own choices and our lives. Lord, this morning there might even be some here who feel like their life is stuck in a cul-de-sac where they're just going around over and over in circles and the same scenery just keeps appearing outside the windows and it never seems to change. There may be some people here this morning who feel like Hagar did, like totally mistreated, abused by the people that should have loved them, completely unseen. So many today, Lord, lonely and marginalized, living in the midst of the American dream and yet finding so little hope. So when we come to news like this that you see so differently than the way that we see, that you look through eyes that are completely different, that the, that the God that we maybe see this morning is actually not the God who is. When we actually come to texts like this that tell us that you are the God who sees with incredible love, incredible hope, who's this personal who knows our name, it's hard to believe. It's just hard to believe. But Lord, our hearts were made to be seen by you. And only in your love can we really flourish. And so I want to ask for my friends this morning that you would pour out your love on them. That you would hijack their view of you. That they would open, that you would open their eyes to your goodness. To to your yearning for their destiny. For your invitation even right now to come forward with you. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church and a community that knows how to have honest conversations about life as it actually is with the God who actually is. And Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and hope, that you would unlock conversations and possibilities like Hagar on the backside of the desert, that you would give a whole new way of thinking in the coming weeks about life and its difficulties, but also its its joy and its destiny. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for spending your morning here with us. Um, Please know that here at the church, we want to be a resource for you. So if you, uh, if you have questions, if you have conversations, if you have needs, if you just want someone to listen and to pray over you, please contact the church office, uh, and one of us would love to do that. Go in peace. Have a great weekend.